Welcome again to Hydrant. We're glad that you're here. Um, uh, um, Where do I want to start? Start with this. I came into my office, uh, our offices this morning, and I found this little book made out to um, Reverend Timmy Fox Jr. Uh, (laughs) um, That is like pointing out of the four words on this. Three that I hate. I hate to be called Reverend. Timmy, my grandmother aunt still call me because there were two Tims in our house. And Junior, I always leave that off too. So, you know, almost. I guess it could have been where you could call me Reverend Fox. That's my grandfather. Um, but this was there in affectionate love along with this book of the notes you guys have written. And I read a handful of them this morning, and I had to stop because, like, I couldn't see through the tears. Um, and the this is probably the most wonderful pastor appreciation thing that's ever been done uh, for me. And I'm just I want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to to write down or email in a note for them to be able to include in that book. It's um, I will read every one of those this afternoon. That will be one of those things. When I feel like I did yesterday afternoon, I pick back up and read again as a reminder that what we do matters and that it makes a difference. And so thank you. You don't know how big that really is and how much that means. And I just, I just want to say thank you. It is um, a privilege beyond measure to lead with the team that we have here at Hydrant Church. You guys make this place amazing. When you've come in, you know we always um, we always ask people why'd you come back the second time, right? Like people can stumble in for all kinds of reasons the first time, but why'd you come back the second time? And it is rarely anything to do with what happens on stage. It is everything to do with the things that you do and the people that you are and how you respond to people and demonstrate love and mercy and grace and appreciation. And it's amazing to be a part of, and I'm just I'm just so grateful today for that, and um, and knowing that it makes all the difference in our lives, in our family, um, as much as it does for others. So thank you. Now we do kind of begin a new series this week. It's not made to worship, but today is about worship. The series is on the vitals and essentials of Hydrant Church and of what it really means to be Christian. In my um, opinion, I guess, and what it is that kind of defines who we are biblically and guides us as a church. Now, when we think about Hydrant Church from the very beginning, we made a different decision than what most churches make. We made a decision to do a few things as well as possible and not everything that we could think of, right? So as we, um, as we started, we said, well, Let's, let's just do a few things really well. So you'll notice over the course of the summer, there's no VBS. There's no men's ministry or women's auxiliary. There's no quilting club. And there's not all of these different things. We don't, we don't do baby showers and we don't do wedding showers. And we don't do all of these things that a lot of places and churches kind of take on themselves to try to do. We tend to focus on a few things that we believe make the biggest difference in our lives, in each other's lives, and in our community, and give us the greatest ability 
to help people to connect and fill and overflow. About a month or so ago, we went through those three as this teaching series where this is what we're about. This is who we are. And so we're kind of hitting now what we do. What are the vitals and what are the essentials that we have to do to be the church and to be Hydrant Church? And one of those has been, will always be worship. It has to be at the center of who we are. We believe that we are made to worship, that as we gather in worship, that it connects us. It connects us to God. It connects us to ourselves. It connects us to each other. And there is this story that that unfolds as we worship. And that's why it's at the top of the list for what we do. As we gather each week, there's this kind of story happening. And maybe you've noticed it and maybe not, but there's this kind of subversive story happening as this group of people who decide that the world doesn't get to tell us who we are. The world doesn't get to tell us what's important. The world doesn't tell us what to go after, what to pursue, what to pour our lives out in investment for. That there is a different way of being in the world. And so there's this kind of rebellion happening. And when I think about the church gathering and worship each week, the way I imagine it is, is kind of this underground gathering of rebels who are preparing to take over the world. And that's what we are. We believe that the kingdom of God is breaking in all over the world, and we come back together to report on it, to be inspired and encouraged to stay the journey when it feels like we're failing, when it feels like we're failing personally and like the mission is going nowhere. We come back together and we tell this story again, and every week there's this same kind of pattern and rhythm to the story that's happening. As we, as we enter into the story It usually begins with song, and music is an important piece because it connects to our minds and our emotions like nothing else. It's why when that certain song comes on the radio in your car, you can't help but start singing, and you don't realize until you stop at a stoplight and someone's staring at you that you're singing at the top of your lungs and playing drums on the steering wheel and everything else, right? Music connects to our souls, and it teaches us and it unlocks something for us. And so we enter into the story with music. Now for some of us, that's not a natural thing. My mind and my personality and the things that I enjoy, I, I want to jump into a book. I want to jump into the teaching. I could, I could come and listen to a 90-minute lecture and then be ready to go, but that's not how everybody works. And, and yet, I think we all, whether we're drawn to the music, and that's where our heart is and our mind is, we all need the music. Music has been a part of worshiping God from the very beginning. It's one of the oldest books in the Bible is the book of Psalms, and it is that song book of the people of God. There are songs all throughout the New Testament. It was how we expressed our belief, our conviction, our hope, our joy, You think about it, every university writes a song, their fight song, that they'll sing. These these guys who think they're too cool to do anything will sing that song, as dumb as it may sound. We come to worship 
to sing our fight songs, to be reminded of who God is and to enter into that story again. I've heard it. I heard a story one time. It's a it's the guy who pastors Hillsong, New York, and he was talking about being a teenager and how his dad would always embarrass him in worship. They'd come into church, and his dad was the guy who brought his own tambourine, you know? You ever been in one of those places? Yeah? Yep, yep. I was in a service recently where this guy brought his own drum. I mean, like, drum, and ended up on stage playing. He was good, so it was all right. But his dad always brought... His, his tambourine in, and he'd be worshiping and swinging that thing around and banging it, and he kind of embarrassed him. He said, Dad, why do you do that? He said, the real question, son, has to do with why you're too scared to praise God in the church. He said, you want life? You want God's power in your day-to-day, but you won't even open your mouth to sing his praises. You won't raise a hand in his name. You're going to jump and shout when your team scores on the football field or when that favorite batter hits a home run. You're going to jump and shout, but you can't raise a hand to praise the God of all creation who made you, sustains you, gives you strength and hope and joy. No wonder you're a weak Christian because you can't even stand and praise him in the church with people who are doing the same. How are you ever going to do it out there when no one else is? This is not a conversation I've had or had with my kids But maybe it's a conversation we need to let God have with us. We need to kind of unlock our fear. I mean, really, what's holding us back? Some of it's personality. Maybe you say, well, you know, I prefer a more still and focused, reflective worship. And that's okay. Do that. But stretch yourself, too. And I can always watch it happen. Like it's, it's the coolest thing, this journey that tends to happen for people, right? You come the first time, and they put in an extra row for you so you can sit even further back. And then you come a little while, and you move up a row or two. And now you're more engaged. There's less distraction in front of you. Then you get up onto the second row or even the first row, and you're in. Suddenly you're singing, your hands are up, and you don't care. You can't see them giving you a look anyway. And you know what look they're giving you? They're jealous. You you think I'm kidding. We all wish we could worship with more freedom. And I wonder sometimes what's really holding us back. Are we unwilling to enter into God's story or we don't want to look foolish? Are we afraid of what it will mean? Is it just not me? Well, there's all kinds of things that God wants to do in you that just aren't you. Let's be honest. Push yourself a little bit here. Try it next week. We're not going to sing another song today unless you want to stay for second service because you're so convicted about needing to worship more. That Whatever God's asking you to do, have the courage to do it. But maybe begin to have a conversation with God this week. Okay, God, I don't know about this, but Scripture talks about raising your hands in worship. So I'm going to pick one song. For one chorus, or maybe just the bridge, you know, because that's the really upbeat part. And I'm going to raise my hand, one hand halfway up. I'm going to try it. And I'll do that for two weeks, and then I'll try one hand all the way up. And if nothing happens, I'm out. Try it. Start somewhere, right? Or maybe you're like, okay, God, I've been hearing the same song now 
I've been here like six months. I've heard the same song ten times. I know I can sing along. So I'm going to sing along during one song. I'm going to actually open my mouth and let my vocal cords work, and I'm going to sing instead of staring blankly at the musicians. Because they can see you. They can see you. Can I, tell, I, want, to, I want to tell you something. The, there, sometimes there is a vast difference between first service and second service, and it's not just because I've practiced the sermon once and I do better the second time. It has everything to do with the energy in the room created on that side of the stage. When you're engaged, when you respond, when you give me a that's right, or you give me, you sing out, it changes the entire service. It changes everything. Worship, we enter into it. But then this crazy thing happens, and we see it in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah went into the temple. Now, Uzziah was a great king who had moved the nation forward. And Isaiah was a prophet during this time and a priest. And as he went into the temple, he was doing so kind of devastated. It was one of those weeks that everything was going wrong. The king was dead, the king that had helped him, and who knew what was going to happen to the nation now? And in that devastation, he enters into worship. He chooses to go into the temple. And he sees God high and lifted up. Not likely with his actual eyes. But he sees God. He imagines God. He experiences God as high and lifted up. His robes filling the temple. And cherubim singing and shouting the praises of God. And as he joins in this experience of worship. As he joins his voices with the angels and cherubim of heaven. Something happens. And it's what happens to all of us when we really experience God, right? We experience some bad news. Bad news comes first. And for Isaiah, he said, he saw God high and lifted up in all of his holiness and all of his love and all of his presence in the worst moment of his life. And he says, woe is me. Oh, no. I don't belong here. I'm broken. I'm among broken people. And that's what happens to us. And maybe it's a moment like what I've had this morning where it's like, oh, crap, I'm believing lies. I'm holding on to things that aren't true, and it's changing me, and I don't like it. We, we get this bad news, this stuff we carry. We come in, and we see God, but we're distracted by the, the weight of everything we're carrying that week. Or the failures of our past or the wounds or the hurt of our past come, come up and we see them. All the stuff we feel, all the struggles, all the battles rise up. The stuff we've done, the stuff the Bible calls sin that breaks us and separates us from one another. It all comes bubbling to the surface in the presence of God. It's kind of like when you add heat to metal. The impurities rise to the top and they become visible. And it's, as we enter into that fire of God's presence, as we engage in worship, we get some bad news. You don't have it all together. But then, there's always good news. And there's so much good news in Scripture. 
And it comes back for us as we sing and we see God and as we experience that. And then we begin to see ourselves in this brokenness and we, and we, we fall down on our knees or we, or we sit in this moment of prayer and just confessing, God, I need your help because I don't have this all together. I've been propping up a facade. I've been, I believe lies. I've been struggling with this battle. I don't know what to do. God, I've let down my family. God, I, I did some things this week that I'm just not proud of and that didn't honor you. And I said some things I wish I could take back. And God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. And I need your grace. And Isaiah experiences at the direction of God, an angel comes with that coal and he touches Isaiah on the lips and his sin is forgiven. And maybe that's the biggest news that we get to share over and over again is that we are forgiven and there is no expectation from God that you be perfect, but that you just keep moving in this journey with him, keep submitting to him, keep bringing the junk to him. He wants the pain. He wants the hurt. He wants all of it. And he so we can bring healing. He is a God of freedom. He is a God of hope. He is a God of joy. And it's the story we tell every single week. A God who is not, a God who is not against you, but for you. And his desire is to unlock everything you were created to be if you'd let him. There was a, an, an ancient mystic who said that few people ever realize all that they would become if they would simply relinquish themselves to the grace of God. We're like a big chunk of stone standing in front of God. And God sees, like an artist, the statue within that stone, the beautiful artwork within that stone, and his only desire is to chip away the parts that aren't supposed to be there. And we're that stone yelling back at him, God, no, I like that corner. God, I like that rough part. God, I like that. I know people run into it and it hurts, but I like it. Don't knock it off. Don't make me into something better. I'd rather stay miserable. And that's what we do. We hold him at a distance. And he's inviting us to experience the good news of all that we would become. And we tell this story over and over again and enter into good news. It's why we show back up, right? Like, you show up here not because of the bad news. You show up because of the good news that's even greater than the bad news. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then we respond to this good news. And we do it in all kinds of ways. Sometimes we respond like you've been invited to today. God has been good to me. This is good news. I'm going to take care of a kid who's hungry. Or maybe we respond in singing, or maybe it's communion, or encouragement, or, or prayer, or repentance, or committing ourselves to something. Sometimes it's just enjoying a cookie and being reminded that somebody cares about us enough to make us a homemade cookie today. And we respond. We respond, and we are blessed as we go out, encouraged with words of hope and strength to go out different, reminded that we are different as we leave than when we came in, if we'll engage in the worship. You know, it's, it's remarkable as we do these things, as we enter into the worship, as we, as we hear the good news, as we respond, as we experience the blessing, it does something, it connects us 
It's always kind of it's always kind of mysterious worship. If it's not mysterious for you ever, maybe you've not quite entered in yet. There's always something mysterious to an encounter with God. And, and as we begin to experience Him, it's an act of hope, it's an act of courage, but it, it connects us. First and foremost, we worship to connect with God, the one who created us. The one who sustained us, the one who made us and enjoyed walking with humanity in the garden every day. The one who put on flesh and blood and entered into this world and walked the dusty streets of Israel so that we could know that he knows us, that he's with us, that he refuses to abandon us, and that we can connect with him. We begin to see him more clearly and realign our imagination in times of struggle. Sometimes we fail to realize how powerful our minds are, how God made us with this imagination, this ability to picture things. And we carry with us a picture of God. And many of us carry with us a picture of God that we're afraid of, a God who judges us only And never judges to set us free. A God who holds himself at a distance instead of drawing close. A God who's not working on our behalf. We imagine things that aren't true. We imagine ourselves differently. When we come, we we realign our imagination with the God who is and not the God we think he is. We grow in that connection with him and we learn. We learn to worship. As we worship and as we're with others who worship. We learn to pray as we pray and we hear others pray. We learn to listen and engage and respond as we respond with others. But that worship doesn't just connect us to God. I mean, we see it in Isaiah. He he connected with God. But then it, it connects us to our true self. We see ourselves as we are and who he made us to be. We see both the brokenness and the possibility. We realize the conflict, the battles that we face, and we find help for being our best selves, for being who we were created to be. We find peace. We find strength. We find possibility. We find inspiration. Not only that, we connect to the power in God. That we don't have in ourselves. You know, so many of the things that I listed last night with Anita as areas where I feel like I'm failing are things that I have no control over. Things I can't do anything about and things I can't fix. But I try to claim responsibility as if I'm God. And when I connect with him, I start to realize I'm not him. And all the ways I try to take his job. I need to let go of those things. And I need to trust the things he says are true. I need to trust the things he's teaching me. I need to trust to obey. Not because he demands it, but because the things that he instructs are the way, the direction to the best possible life. When I worship, I see past what's right in front of me. See, so many times we're, we're caught with just what's right in front of us, what's happening right now, 
what's happening this week, what's happening this day, and we're overcome by it. But when I come and I choose to worship, I choose to praise him, I choose to connect and engage with him in spite of all of that, something begins to change in me. I begin to see past what's right in front of me. It's Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They've been arrested. They've been beaten and now they're lying bloody and dirty in jail in the middle of the night. And they choose to sing to God in that environment. Usually I'm talking to God, but it's not very nicely when I feel like I'm stuck in a prison in the middle of the night. And I think there are times that's okay. That's where you start. It's where half the Psalms start. God, you left me. What happened? And then we realize as we continue to engage with him, even in our pain, oh, you're still there. I may not see it yet, but I know you're there. And they begin to praise him, and the whole jail rattles. And an earthquake comes, and the jail sails, and the, the shackles, they all break free. And they have the opportunity to walk out and choose another way instead. Sometimes praise is the pathway to our freedom. It is our response, our act of faith in a God who is there when we can't see him. The one who is the the way maker when we know no other way. And we choose to praise because we believe he's still working. Even when it doesn't feel like it or we can't see it. Not only does it connect us to ourselves, but it connects us to others. I get sometimes in churches just to fit, the chairs are all lined up and we're staring at the back of somebody's head instead of their face. And I hope that you take advantage of the time before and after to engage with the people around you who are worshiping. But as we join our voices with the voices of others, we're connected. And we realize and remember, I don't fight alone. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 says, I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Your Christianity is not about you and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. Your Christianity. It's why he taught us to pray our Father in heaven, not my Father. It's our Father We're in this together. We battle together. We hold each other accountable. We encourage each other. We love each other even when you're doing something stupid. It's like family, right? You got that family member doing something stupid. You don't tell them not to come to Thanksgiving. You put them beside grandma where she'll set them straight. And hope that it clicks. It usually pushes them further away, but we try. But we don't write them off. We don't send them away. We bring them in closer. In hopes that they'll see what's real. And what's true and what's possible. Because we're connected. We inspire one another. The church is the original kind of place where we just get to say me too. Because I have this feeling that as I was sharing my story of this week. Some of you were in your minds and hearts like me too. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah, that was my week or my month or my season or my year. Yep, me too. Doesn't it help to know you're not the only one? Like, you think it wouldn't. Like, oh, good, somebody else is miserable too. Like, I mean, I don't want you miserable, but I realize, okay, I'm not alone. 
I'm not alone. I'm not alone. You're not alone. When we show up, we're reminded we're not alone. But you know what you do? You remind everyone else in the room that they're not alone. Just by showing up. Being here. You inspire one another to be more free and open in your worship. You inspire one another to take faith and steps of obedience and courage. You inspire someone else to share their story. When we go alone, we go into darkness. When we go together, we hold the light for one another. Then the last thing, worship always sends us out. It always sends us out. It begins here, and it sends us out there. We get together, but look, the real work of any rebellion, of any revolt, doesn't happen in the meeting. It doesn't happen in the rally. It happens out there. The real work of the kingdom, the real work of worship, happens when we get sent out and we leave this place. Everything we do in the gathering of worship is moving us forward, is encouraging us, it's realigning our minds and our hearts to live this out. It sends us back in the world to continue our worship. In Ezekiel chapter 42, there's this vision. As the prophet has this vision, he's taken to the temple and he sees a river that begins in the temple and runs all the way to the Dead Sea. And as it does, it gets wider and wider and produces more and more life. It's it's changing the desert. It's changing the emptiness. It even changes the Dead Sea. And it begins at the altar. It begins at the place of worship, at the place of surrender, at the place of sacrifice. We can begin to sacrifice even a little comfort as we raise a hand, as we make a room for someone else, as we reach towards someone when we'd rather hide, when we share, when we talk, when we engage, when we, when we get on our knees and say, God, I surrender the brokenness, the messed up, the bad news, the battle, the struggle, and I choose to trust you and your good news. In Romans chapter 12, the, the apostle Paul, now this was the guy who like killed Christians and was so transformed that he became the biggest like proponent of Christianity in his culture and world. Not that he killed Christians, but maybe Kanye West will be that kind of transformation story. And we laugh, but I'm hopeful. Like we pray for people to speak out in our world for Christ and Kanye does it. We're like, not him. Who do you want? Like, I don't know, the rapper who made the most money of any rapper in our country, in the world last year, decides to follow Jesus, and we're skeptical? He changed Paul. He changed me. I'm with it. Keep doing it, Kanye. Just keep making good music while you do it. But that guy, Paul, wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let him, 
let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Start at the altar. This is the kind of offering he'll find acceptable, and this is truly the way to worship him. Surrendering our lives. Every act becomes an act of worship surrendered to God. The message written by Eugene Peterson, not a rapper, a preacher, who preached in a small church all his life and wrote uh, a paraphrase of the Bible primarily for his children to be able to understand the Bible. We know it as the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you, of course. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So this week as you go to work, it's an act of worship when it's surrendered to him. This week when you change that diaper, it's an act of worship. When you make that lunch for your kindergartner or your teenager or you vacuum that floor, fix that car, it's an act of worship. As you sit around the table as a family, it's an act of worship. As you sit across the table at a fast food place, you got to pray extra hard to make it an act of worship, but it still is. Every little thing that we do in the name of God, out of love for God and love for others, is our worship. It's how this rebellion gets feet. It's how this rebellion works and changes the world. We live our worship out outside of here. But it really almost always starts here for us. So we gather up and we encounter God. Unafraid, unashamed, unembarrassed. We just worship. We step outside of what's comfortable and natural and normal for us. And we sing like... I'm I'm sorry, Danielle, that you're right in front of me because I sing. And you may have heard me, and I hope it didn't mess you up too badly. But I'm not naturally gifted to sing, but I'm going to sing out to God. And I'm going to raise a hand. All of the musicians who have ever heard me up here are laughing right now at me. Thanks. Makes me feel good. Just wrestle right up here in front of me. It's not what I'm naturally gifted to do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to engage. I'm naturally introverted and quiet. I'm not one to, like, raise my hand in the group and say, can you see me? Because it's not about can you see me. It's about a surrender to God. And by surrendering, I'm saying, God, whatever you're asking me to do, not what I want, not what makes me feel good, not what I think I should do, but what do you want? And I'll choose to do that. Loving you and loving others. It's my act of worship. So hydrant, we worship. It's who we are. We give it everything we've got. We invest everything we can in making this a place for people to connect with God, themselves, and each other in a very real way that transforms us. Thank you for being a part of it. And let's 
keep taking a step toward him in worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you for the freedom we find in you and the opportunity to worship in this place, to come together and surrender. We pray for courage to worship you in this place and as we leave this place. We pray for the ability to see our work, our day-to-day lives, every meal as an act of worship. May we leave this place reminded that you are for us and not against us, that we are not alone, and that you are working in us to bring out the best in us. We pray your blessing over our lives and our week. Make it effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, go in his strength and his peace. Be reminded you're not alone as you eat that homemade cookie. Have a great week.